Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Thursday morning. You know what that means. It's time for the AW Dynamite <laughs> Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamsler to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only preview and review AEW Dynamite, but Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. Point oh, oh. pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and probably not this week. Host a roundup of the week <laughs> complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, not this week on wrestle culture. It's a holiday season, baby. Um, Dynamite last night was wild. Uh. Peaked high, went low at times. I would describe this as the anti-raw, where <laughs> raw just kind of trickles along in a straight line. Yeah. Six out of ten. Sometimes you even get a seven. Sometimes you get a five. It's studiously written and performed to just be even Steven. This was like, boom, way up there for greatness and then way down low. Having said that, there was some mid stuff as well. So it was basically all over the map. Yeah, like I would consider this a lot better than some of the sum of its parts, but only some of them. Yeah. Because that would suggest that nothing was outright great, but the show overall was a good vibe and it was well formatted and all that. I thought this was a brilliant episode of television. Well, I know for a fact, I'm going to isolate like four or five things I really didn't like. Yeah. It's a really strange one. But I, again, like just a wider point before we get into, because it doesn't really, there's not one particular area where I think this pops up, but something we were talking about in the office. I think lately, like I think AEW's been a good run lately. Like last three or four weeks feel like the show's got real momentum. Like a lot of characters are getting over all at the same time. There has been a notable change in the formatting of these shows. And not just in a, it's not as simple as, oh, we're starting with an interview or we're throwing in an extra video package. They do not feel, for the first time maybe ever in Dynamite's history, like they're being booked by graph, like they're being booked by data. And I think it's much healthier a product for it. I understand the need for wrestling to go a certain way to please TV executives. That's where we're at with WWE, aren't we, ultimately? So that was ultimately going to lead AEW down a path where maybe they were following a formula to the product's detriment. I think we were at that point, and they seem to have torn up their own rule book, and I think it's been to such the betterment of the product overall. They're doing a much better job of hyping main events, for example. Yeah. They're doing such a good job Follow throughs. Like, following through on events that happened last week and registering the big moments, and it's just, there's still that slapdash. 
why is this thing happening two seconds after that thing happened? That frenzy... Oh, there's one on this show that was pretty egregious. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ says that frenzy Tony Khan energy that I've just come to terms with. Mm. It's the sort of thing that you just have to deal with because it's not going to change. But yeah, ultimately the way that they are registering moments, building things um, throughout the night as well without doing dreaded, in my opinion, show-long storylines. Um, yeah, it's just a much better polished... Uh, show, I think, but it also has that craziness. But we'll get into that uh, momentarily. We start uh, with Ricky Starks opening the show with um, a uh, promo. Comes out, he says, look, I wish I could be here as AEW champion, but like a good baby face, doesn't make an excuse, doesn't mention that he got kicked in the balls once, I don't think. No. Um, he just says, he's lost. Um, but if he has to um, work his way up to another title shot, that's exactly what he's going to do, and he's going to knock them all down. Good. If you mentioned it once, he at least said, look, I'm not going to whine and complain about it. I'm not going to be a bitch and say, oh, I need another shot because look what happened. He said, look, I'll work my way up again because I'm a baby face. Mm. That is what I do. Um, Judas hits. Chris Jericho struts out, flanked by Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia, um, who look ridiculous, but in a pretty funny <laughs> way. And Jericho puts over Ricky Starks because he's got a sinister plan to recruit him to the JAS. He says, look, I've been studying you for a long time. You're a million dollar talent you are all but guaranteed to be a world champion someday not now but someday and he says as a result uh, we can mold you we can finish you off you can join the jericho appreciation society and basically become the finished article starks again very respectful says uh, jericho i respect you you've gone from looking like an air fryer <laughs> to being lean and dressed like a single father on his fifth divorce <laughs> that's what a picture he's created of jericho because it's a complete burial, a total exaggeration, yeah. and yet it is uncanny in its accuracy. Incredible. I've, uh, my mum has asked for an air fryer for Christmas, so air fryers are very much in my field of vision at the moment. I've been Googling the best ones and stuff. He's absolutely nailed it. This was a very cathartic burial, and in a strange way, like watching it as long as we've had and taking in a deeper like level of investment in this, Like I like Chris Jericho a bit more for this line getting out there. Because it makes us all feel good that, like, oh, we can talk about that now, can't we? Yeah. We can talk about you came on a UK tour, you, picture, you took pictures outside six Weatherspoons, and then you came back looking jacked at 25. <laughs> like, uh, it's nice to have that out yeah. there. And Jericho's obviously, you know, like, rubber stamped it or ticked it off or whatever. That's put Ricky Starks over. The whole rock impersonator thing is a very, it's a high wire act, isn't it? Because but if you. If you're even close to approaching The Rock's charisma, you're doing something right yeah. for us, and you are. But if it starts to feel like a ripoff, then ripoffs aren't going to get over as big as the first, as the original. It'll just feel like a sequel. I thought this line was a realization of the platonic ideal of Ricky Starks, a a welcome new version of a rock like character, but not just a ripoff, not just a copy of a copy. I, I I felt like this was like the arena were buzzing for him, and he was carrying this confidence and this charisma to be able to deliver that and allow him we're about to talk about with that self belief that you wanna you wanna back him. Yeah, like I didn't at any point feel like I have kind of been down this road with a guy once before. He felt brand spanking new, and not many people land blows like that on Chris Jericho. And typically, it'd be if Jericho was a babyface and a heel was doing it. Yeah, so it felt quite cathartic. Yeah, I was abs- with him. Absolutely, I was with him as well. Um, I didn't necessarily. He brings up um, that. Why would I want to join you? The J stands for Jobbers and J A S. Just look at the fact that you lost to um, Action Andretti last week. You're all a bunch of jazz holes. I would describe this as pretty shoddy, lame material. Mm. But 
The Rock had plenty of shoddy lame yeah. material with which he got over. Like, Starks is channeling both The Rock and Brian Gewertz here, mm. and he's doing a somehow exceptional job. And speaking of exceptional jobs, I do need to put over Tony Khan here. Big shock. Right? <laughs> the cynicism going into this, and I think it was shared by me, you, a lot of other people, fairly in good faith and with precedent, because we've seen so often someone gets massive or gets over, and then, oh, well, there's too many people on the show, it's not really your turn, and they languish for a while. Tony Khan last week did two incredible things at once. He introduced a complete unknown with no story, right? And he got him over, and the guy got himself over, and Jericho got him over, in the context and the language of professional wrestling in a match that was cold and had no build. Mm. Just two terrible bad faith arguments. Uh, who's going to know who that is? Uh, where's the story? Boom, you don't need it to get that reaction. He also did two amazing things at once here in that he got Action Andretti and Ricky Starks in the opening segment. It was literally the first thing he did. Yeah. Are they gonna, he's going to forget about them. No, you're going to remember them, and I remember them. First thing on the show. So I thought this was all very clever. It was great booking. Um, great, like, booking. great booking. Like a complete defiant response to... Um, some of his worst impulses for which he's been criticised. And, uh, yeah, Action Andretti saves um, Starks from the inevitable MJAS beatdown. They do two things very similarly um, on the same night, which I know is a bugbear of yours, and it's one of mine as well, where it's the come from behind. Yeah. Like, Starks probably should have realised, hang on, where's Hager? Where's um, 2.0? But regardless, Action Andretti comes out. The story is that Starks and Action Andretti have got the same enemies, so the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's your opening segment. Yeah, superb. I, again, it's a formatting thing. Um, I know it won't always be to everybody's taste to start with a, a promo, but again, Ricky Starks, like whenever can you remember, you've got a brilliant memory for AEW compared to me, whenever can you remember somebody losing their big match, their big shot, and then opening the show the following week? I thought that was such a statement of intent. Don't forget about him. Don't stop caring about him. The Jericho throwaway line was to set up something that is going to matter, not somebody getting trapped in like the Jericho vortex. I thought well, we'll it, see, we'll see. Well, we'll see, I guess. But I didn't think this couldn't have been any more of a of a sort of a realization of one of his bigger issues that he's trying to address. I assume Starks was going nowhere fast after the defeat, and I couldn't feel any different after this. Yeah. Like he's one of the main talking points coming out of the show. Absolutely, I will say that for about <clears throat> ten seconds, is it? It's a high wire act, not just doing the um, the rock thing, but being the braggadocious baby face. Mm. It was about ten seconds where I'm thinking, like, are you being a little bit too heelish, a little bit too cocky here? Then his banter, the air fryer thing, was so priceless because it's like, are you calling him fat? Are you saying that he's defensive about being fat? Not deep fat fryer, he's an air. <laughs> air fryer, or does he physically look like one? It was just one of those things that just yeah. gets you like just loads of different synapses firing. It's, um, it's a sort of sequel to Maxi Pad. Like these things are starting to pile up that Ricky Starks has got, where it yeah. feels like an off the cuff thing that you should have maybe not seen coming. But as soon as he said it, you're like, "Well, that's gonna. I'm gonna remember that forever." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, if he can, if he's got a hit rate of maybe one every three or four weeks like that, that's kind of how it worked for the Rock. That's how he got there. He could, the expectation became. What's he going to say? What's he going to yeah, call yeah. him? And it, it's great. It's a fun thing to enjoy. Yeah, the show. absolutely. Because you know, like, it's just guaranteed banter yeah. as well. It's like being in the office with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first match on the show is uh, match five in the best of seven series between the Elite and uh, Death Triangle. This is no DQ. Mercifully, I should. Why don't I trust 
Kenny Omega. <laughs> there are no tags in this match because yeah. they don't have to do it. How many no DQ tag matches and trio ma- trios matches have you seen? Mm-hmm. Mainly in the Fed, <laughs> where they tagging and out. I think I've seen it in AW as well. It's like, what are you doing that? Remember, for? like that that weird period where they lost control of when rope breaks counted and when they didn't. And uh, a bizarre time where, like, even like I'm, I know this is like a WWE thing. Like, I need the rules explaining. Like, literally, I need the rules yeah. explaining what like triple threats as well. What's the rules here? Yeah, what's DQ and what's not? They lost control of it. Like a, a lot of wrestling has lost control of what actually was. Could you do a rule break and an ODQ? Yeah. Well, ultimately, they didn't even make you ask any like um, quite pressing questions because they didn't tag in and out. They did not have to. There were no disqualifications. It was all centralized to the ring. They know that they've got the whole building to play with on the 28th. Um, so it was more a weapons-heavy brawl. Um, I thought Nick Jackson's selling was exquisite throughout. And it's just so ironic how he never, ever gets credit for it from certain people. And he never will because they're not looking for it because they don't want to look for it. Um, I would put this closer to the third and fourth matches um, in terms of quality to the first and the second. But it was quite light, uh, very fun. And they are still saving the very best for the last two matches, I suspect, here. Um, but we got a nice callback with a broom. Kenny Omega used that to work over Phoenix. Um, it was sort of like puncturing his own skin at times, so it just genuinely felt like this dangerous weapon. And I need to, before I go into the match, uh, the recap, as best as I can, it's an elite match, um, in further detail, I need to tell you a story. Which mm-hmm. I've told you, I might have even told the listeners, but I'll regale you once again. I was on holiday, right? And the rules of uh, drinking alcohol, right? You can't do it before midday, unless you're on holiday in an airport or on a train, or you're a student. Yeah. You're 37 years old, a certain rule. Um, holiday drinking is different to drinking. You don't drink during the day on a weekend. Uh, at least I don't think you should. Mm. We've got, like, two young children to look after. Yes, I agree. But there's this, you're on holiday. You're under the scorching sun of Crete. You probably have a couple more oh, than you <laughs> usually would. Because you're going to have your nap before you go out in the nighttime. Um... Yeah, it's a good, it's a vibe. You're permitted to be in drink. Yes, but yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I had maybe one too many more than I should have on one day of the holiday. Right, when we we're in Crete this year, and we were playing this game um, where it was like a bridge over the pool mm. next to our uh, apartment, and you had to kick it under the bridge like a ball, but it's like one of these penny floaters. Yeah, so like it's quite hard to do, but when you do it, it's a buzz. So you celebrate. So you did like football celebrations into the pool. And I was like, did it like three times in a row. I was getting very cocky. So I was trying to like do some back heels. And I fell into a bush. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you know where it's mainly sticks? And yeah. there's no oh, give no, whatsoever. Yeah. So I was just a little bit too pissed. Fell arse backwards into a bush. And I cut my entire right arm in the left side of my uh, body. Yeah. Torso to ribbons pretty much. So when I saw that Christmas tree... I knew, like, there's going to be some dickheads who say that wouldn't hurt. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I had a keen, subjective experience of how that kind of thing really, really hurts. So I like the Christmas tree stuff, the broom, the barbed wire around it was great. I fell in the same hedge three times um, when I was a student at university. There was just one that was near a particularly perilous bit of a path. Uh, niche niche reference to anybody but I do know we have a few in the northeast. if anybody knows uh, Chester Road in Sunderland there's a big hedge outside the uh, university library and it would just get particularly icy when you're going down the hill and I just went in that fucking thing like three times in my youngest stupidest days because it was just there so you went 37 years old I wasn't 37 actually years. no I was 36 so. oh that's totally different totally that's different fine, yeah. that's totally fine but I still remember it I didn't like it and it was unpleasant and it's just it's like it's it's death it's very literally death by a thousand cuts isn't it? yes like, ah, 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 yeah, like the, the shower hurts a lot but that instant like, like that yeah. shower afterwards is yeah. that 
absolutely horrendous. Uh-huh. So I did empathise with everyone who took a bump into that. As ridiculous as it might sound, if you um, are a loser who's never literally touched grass. <laughs> okay. It's like leaf. Yeah, it's Don't touch a bush. Thing. So the general story here is that they know that Nick Jackson's ankle is knackered. He tries to fight through it bravely, but when he gets his first sort of hit on it, he's really, really selling it very, very well. So Pac being a bastard, I'm going to pilmanize that. Mm. Fantastic. Um, Kenny Omega smacks him with a trash can lid, which is one of the more prominent weapons um, before doing You Can't Escape and then doing the moonsault with the trash can, um, as he's wont to do. Uh, we only see the chair briefly. We don't see any wild shots. We get one stereo table spot. That's how you do an elbow drop, MCM Punk. Just in case you were wondering how to do an elbow drop, it's funny because the guy you think can't wrestle does it better than you, Matt Jackson. <laughs> Wonderful elbow drop. I still miss CM Punk, but makes it easy. Yeah. Makes it easy. Um, there's two big dramatic peaks that this match worked towards, uh, one of which was um, Pac had Kenny Omega in the Brutalizer and... Um, had like a leg grape, vine slash ankle block on Nick Jackson. Now, the problem with this is that no one knew, no one thought, by the way, that the elite were going to win this. So they tried to build the suspense of, are they going to tap? Are they going to tap? That didn't necessarily work for me. I like the idea, but if it was like, if they were 2-1 up, this spot would have really, really worked. Yes. But because we're 3-1 up, it didn't for me. What works instead is that acute... 2.99999 kick out from this incredible move where you don't have time to think about yeah. the ramifications. Oh, it was of the a brilliant result. near fall. Yeah. So that tease of the sub- double tap out didn't work. My goodness, the one winged angel, and it wasn't a Hurricane Ronald, that was a Frankensteiner because he's impaled Kenny Omega's head into the canvas. And it was the 2.99999 kick out that really got me. Yeah. So it was so quick, it was so sudden, the Frankensteiner that I didn't have time to think about. Well, obviously, it's not going to. Um, finish here because that would mean they've won the series because it was such in a flash that I was like my heart was in my mouth and eventually uh, they do the melter driver on Phoenix I think it was for the three count so it's now 3-2 um, yeah what were your thoughts on this yeah you said fun and I would agree with that um, so there's a couple of things I remain like legitimately impressed with their ability to give each match a USP it is a best of seven series. You know, like celebrated, the one when we were certainly younger, the celebrated best seven series was Benoit and Booker T from WCW. A, a great series of matches, but in my opinion, not really ones that you distinguish one from another. You just remember certain stories that they picked up and carried along the way. Yeah. Like, I don't think to myself, oh, match number three specifically had that bit when or whatever. I just remember it being uh, like a series of excellent matches. Here, the Elite and Death Triangle have made sure that every single one has its own identity and has its own flavour, which I really like. And I don't know if this is... Because I'm enjoying this series, but I don't know if this is a generous take, um, and people would just think, oh, you, you wouldn't say that if this was WWE wrestlers, or wrestlers you like less, or something like that. I kind of feel like they've measured the quality by design to have this plateau a little bit, so it can come back up. If you, it's like a wrestling match. Yeah. That's yeah, what happens o- in a wrestling Over match. seven. Yeah, if you aim for five stars or that level of like screaming acclaim that I think the first one did when we only, when we only knew it as a one-off yeah. didn't we that, that's right isn't it it's like the right structure of a match like that's your baby yeah. face shine uh-huh. we're feeling like we're sort of about to have the baby face come back now and that's like being rendered by match quality so these last two matches the fourth count anywhere we'll be back on the heading up the hill again to the big peak of Escalera's Ellen Muerte and some people might say uh, you kind of like that's, that's a bit of a rip off 
you've had to like lower the stakes and lower the quality in order to get back there. That's how, you, I, do, that's how you work a wrestling match? I don't sense that anybody in the buildings are feeling ripped off either. Like the reactions are great. I'm enjoying the matches on television. I don't sense anybody that's seen any of these live will think, ah, I got like a house show variant. I got a, four instead of six. Yeah, I got people dogging it. I, I, I think they've... They've just measured it really well for me. I'd, I think the risk in a situation like this is that you, you kind of tank the quality of one to build a suspense for the other, but they've not tanked it at all. I think they've been of a standard that I've really enjoyed, and now we're going to head back up. It's They've created expectations around, especially the last match, which is fine because it's a decider and they should do. But I just think they've got it about right. Honestly, I think they've measured... They've, the, I think they've got it perfect. They've measured right. the temperature just about right. I just... I won't... I don't think there's a lot of... There's a lot to rewatch in much of this series, in truth. I think the like I think the punk thing is a different conversation, and there's a, there's a lot there that I think like you'll those clips. I watched I, it on the Thursday night. I'm visualizing like Matt Jackson sat on the ground having failed the book shot now. So like it's there's something there that's left with me. I don't think the peak of the uh, full game match has been reached, but then again, maybe it's not supposed to be because you're supposed to see it as like a, a semicircle that meets it meets full gear and it perhaps surpasses it on that on January 11th. Yeah. Um, and force count anywhere. Like I almost don't want them to be in the ring at all. Aye. Like, I almost don't want to see the, the ring on, on camera for this false count anyway, and they've given themselves the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that, because it's just the same dramatic principle of the seven-structure story of a professional yeah. wrestling match. Like, the whole idea is, it's very ironic that the Young Bucks are at the centre of this, given the fan reception to, well, some of their fans, or some of the people who don't like them. They are, funnily enough, adhering to dramatic yeah. principles of pacing, build, storytelling, with the idea being that if they had the full gear match every single time out, I would not be that hyped yeah. for false count anywhere. I'd be exhausted by it. I would just would feel like it's over familiar, the same kind of work and the same kind of sequencing and the same kind of spots. It's one of those where when you watch, I guarantee when you see the sixth and seventh matches, the whole thing will have peaked perfectly and you'll mm. miss you'll miss seeing the same single uh, the same match every single week. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, the stakes are raised, obviously. For false count anywhere next week, uh, with the do like the beatdown angle mm-hmm. and the bloodied. And again, if you hadn't done blood as much, maybe it would have registered more. But that is just an AEW excess problem. And look, it's hard to get annoyed about, mm. but it's just is what it is. I suppose I get annoyed about impromptu matches with a visceral fury every single week. <laughs> well, when, I, when I review Raw, so maybe I should be annoyed by this. But blood is cooler than an impromptu match, so suck my gear. The very traditional. Was it Matt Jackson that had the blood raining from his forehead? That very traditional, re- like, wrestling visual of the bleeding wrestler doesn't compare with, like, John Moxley having his ear chewed off. Yeah. So, again, it's that. It's, it's not Jericho's tit. Yeah, it's not strictly blood, but it's it's excess, as you keep using that word, excess. It's the ways in which, like, the amount of blood through traditional forehead blade jobs forced more creative guys to think of new ways to bleed entertainingly. So, Mox is like, rip my earring off. Or Jericho's like, I'm going to cut my tit. So, now, a traditional forehead cut is like... Yeah, it's become a headlock, isn't yeah. it? They've, they've done it. They've reached that point where it's like, if I knew it, it'd bleed. Like, hey, Kenny, like, pull the back of your trunk down and like bleed your ass cheek. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, his ass cheek's bleeding. Which did actually with the barbed wire, like yeah, with the hammer. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. hammer his ass cheek. Let's see where that goes. Like, it's just at this point, you're kind of looking for that rather than rather than for just a simple a simple cut to the forehead. Out of context, um, we uh, get a backstage interview with MGF, which was filmed last week. Yeah, all of this, I love it. MGF is so good at the sweat sheened mm. by piss boils. Um, I've just been in a match. My story continues even when the actual cameras that you see at the time are off me. Um, he basically says that 
he does the whole hypocritical heel things. Like, you know, you're the coward, actually, because I just wrestled that match. I just had my moment. It's your fault. I'm not a bitch. You're the bitch. You shouldn't <laughs> have, you should have met me face to face in a fairer fight, that kind of thing. And he says that everyone wants to eat off MGF's plate. So when it comes to the reign of terror, Brian Danielson will eat less than he desires and more than he deserves. Any thoughts on this? Just good stuff. Just as much as I needed from MJF this week, considering how they were going to build Danielson later on in the show, I think he would have grossly outshined what they're keeping Danielson busy with. Yes. So this was tactically quite a smart way to do it as well. Absolutely. And I'll get to that later. I've got a pretty harsh take, right, about what comes next, even though I enjoyed it. Um, or like the thing with Danielson anyway, we'll get to it. By the way, Adam Wilborn, incredible at his job. Absolutely unbelievable. All the recap stuff. Yeah. So and slick, the isn't it? flow yeah. and how he just puts it all together. He's incredible at what he does. He's trained, to be fair. I'm not. He's, a, he's a broadcaster, isn't he? He's, he's a trained a broadcaster. God, professional broadcaster. Like I'm not, so. <laughs> anyway, we get the interview with Action Andretti, the follow-up. Like, Brilliant. Will there be a day? And I know that, yes, AEW can be criticized in good faith, and I've done a great deal of it in 2022. But I still have that WWE brain where it's like, Oh. wrestling was rubbish for so long and it was the focal point of wrestling, WWE, and it was so rubbish that I'm just going to think that this is. When is this going to go away? It's 2022 and it's December, for God's sake. There was a few cases of this lately. There's been a few cases of this lately in AW, but this was the one that stuck out to me on tonight's show. I've said this from the very beginning. What I want to do with AEW and WWE, what I want to do is fantasy book stuff because they've given me fairly obvious markers and then see it play out because they've given themselves the opportunity to do it. And so often Vince would just drop stuff. It's like, ah, could have done that and you didn't. Yeah. Well, it's basically, and you didn't even do that. With AEW, I want them to show me those markers and then surprise me with something even better. And this to me was a perfect example of that. I could have picked a million ways that Action Andretti would have been followed up on. And truthfully, I was worried that there was going to be no follow-up because it's a Jericho story. This, I would have never called it, and I should have. Yeah. There's always a thing that they could show you, and like you could think, ah, oh, why would he not do that? What we know of Chris Jericho, why would this exact thing not happen? But you never would have called it. I would like to be an optimist, but I just can't. It's, it's Vince McMahon's fault. <laughs> Complete arse. Anyway, so we get the uh, interview. He uh, basically said that he just embodied a lot of babyface characteristics. He mm. said his life has changed. He's still humble, but he's just overwhelmed by it. Um, he said that he wanted to have Ricky Starks' back, and... Uh, <laughs> 2.0. He telegraphed the life out of this. <laughs> and yet, I don't care that the baby face is a bit of an idiot. Yeah. It's like, so they say something to the effect of, hey, you're on a streak. You're on fire. Yeah. And then he gets a fireball in his face. Brilliant. They didn't do enough selling of this. Ostensibly, right, a guy's face could be disfigured. Mm-hmm. If I threw a fireball in your face, Michael Hamflet, right? Yes. Andy Murray is all right, that's a fireball. Oh, God, is he okay? (laughs) And I've got some news to crack on with. Anyway, we're off to good breeze. Your day should be a little bit affected by that. Which today you talk about the rest of your life. I got hit with a fireball at work. Like, that's that's it, isn't it? Like, there's there's life before you got hit with a fireball at work, and then there's life afterwards. Yes. Ah, it's actually despicable stuff from the JAS. Anyway, Danielson rules, and he's going to come out in a minute. (laughs) Switching gears to the vegan. It's hard to believe sometimes that... He gets called Mid-South Tony, and he's such a huge wrestling historian, and that his favorite thing that he revisited, um, see, like everyone at that age, a millennial, he got into the Fed first, and then he went, oh, this kind of sucks. So let's like delve <laughs> deeper into this wonderful thing that wrestling could be. And Mid-South was one of his things. He needs to rewatch in full the Pressure Bandage episode of Mid-South Wrestling yes. from December 1985, yeah. because, oh my God. Stop everything. Stop everything. Yeah. Someone's pissing blood out their face. This is an incredibly serious situation. I'll give you a more contemporary example that he cribbed and made the same mistake again, 
go and watch the dumpster roar when Foley and Funk yeah. go off the stage. Like, I was terrified uh-huh. throughout that episode. That was a transgression for the ages. Like, what, 12 or 13 uh-huh. when that was broadcast. I was like, are they going to die? And then he did it when he did the dumpster match. It was like, hey, like Christmas party energy. I'm just like, these two people could be dead in there. I think I love AW. I can see why certain old school people, even if they're not operating in the best faith, have a bloody problem with it. Yeah. Like, come on. I watched Foley and Funk in that, and I thought, are they dead? And like, what a job that does for the outlaws. Yeah. Like, you thought they were silly and a bit annoying, but like, oh my well, God. made their career. They're dangerous people. Yeah. Um, i got a take for you on Action Andretti, by the way, that struck me in this segment. Could be a complete accident. Uh, like, I like my aesthetics. Could be a total accident, but I love it nonetheless, and they should use this now. Action Andretti's look, right? It's intentionally, hey, I'm going to make it in this business. It's like, it's really loud, and like, the colours are really noisy, and, that, and they should be, right? Yeah. But his hair stuck out to me. This he looks like, like an early 91 WCW guy. Well, do you know who I think he looks With like? short hair. And this is either just a wonderful, like, bit of luck and happenstance that these two people have been paired together. He's got the very vibrant blue and green and these flickery bits of his hair. Yes. He looks like Rocky Maivia. Yes. And who's he partnering with? Ricky Starks. Like, you've got, like, I'm just on the start of my journey. I'm going to make it. Big smile. Big smile out there. He's a real blue chipper, this guy. Yeah. And he's already with, like, the next evolution of Rocky Maivia and Ricky Starks. And that makes Ricky Starks look... Like the full, the fully yeah, formed the, version. Yeah, yeah. And one day Andretti's going to get there, too. And it could be a total accident, but I thought that was really nice how this, this has come uh, together. Oh, definitely. a good, good take, that. I didn't think Quite annoyed that I didn't think. <laughs> anyway, we get the uh, in-ring interview with Brian Danielson and Renee Paquette. Everyone who loved talking smack, um, flat earthers aside, <laughs> must have got a warm glow of nostalgia yeah, uh, watching this. So Renee basically asked Danielson, um, where does the Blackpool Combat Club stand following um, MGF's despicable assault of William Regal? Um, they, they love William Regal, man, don't they? Get over him. He's gone. He's get gone. Him. Get over him. You're not getting him back. He has decided he is not going to shag you. And, uh, he had six great months of considering shagging you and he's decided he's not going to shag he's you. He's not going to shag you. It doesn't matter how many um, screamo lyrics you put on your MSN <laughs> Messenger status. Like, he's gone. He's out of your life. He probably thinks you're like low rent. Yeah, he's losing respect for you by the week. Yeah. At this point. Bizarre. You gave him three write outs. I get it. You kind of have to do it to, um, to make the heft of Danielson versus MGF yeah. matter. This thing has to matter that happened to Danielson's yeah. life. So I do understand it, but it's optically weird. There's a lot of him on the show still, isn't name, there? Name five. Uh, no, no, I'm going to get in trouble again. <laughs> like That's like a certain individual on Twitter. But I, st- I couldn't name the five, and you no. can't either. Nope. Uh, <laughs> right. So Daniel said, look, I don't expect the combat club to understand. I, did, I didn't know whether they are splintering Danielson away from them or because for a while they've been a loose collective of like-minded individuals yeah. so sometimes team and sometimes they are just they look after their own but sometimes they respect their own enough to go so for them to go mm-hmm. out and fight their own battles but that's one to keep an eye on but he says he doesn't expect the Blackpool Combat Club to understand and uh, Danielson because he's so great um, said that look I was trained 15 minutes away from here well I had my first match 15 minutes away from here and I was trained by Rudy Boy Gonzalez and Shawn Michaels right Shawn Michaels who books NXT 2.0 got an HBK chant yeah. can you imagine ever Tony Khan getting a chant on, on WWE TV not for a while like do you remember the post WrestleMania Raw we were at where they got an AEW chant because people were just I so flew home early on that one. Oh, you flew yeah I oh, that was like that was the when um, Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston ended with the bar running in 
Like, we'll put our belts on the line. The Undisputed Era are getting a call-up. That's Seamus. This is all right. You're kidding me. Like, that got an AEW chant. But it hadn't I, even had its first show. And it that got, yeah, that's it. Double or nothing hadn't even happened. So, but I don't think, yeah, I think the Tony Khan chant seems a few years off yet, doesn't it? Maybe the Freakazoids are just nicer than the Vincels. <laughs> Who knows? Freakazoids and the Vincels. So pathetic. It's <laughs> so the Christmas it? Day football match. <laughs> at World War One. <laughs> <laughs> Except none of them can kick a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that great bit in that South Park episode where there's no internet. Famed more for the Randy Marsh spunk gif. Yeah. Is uh, Shelly and her boyfriend have been speaking online and they've lost the internet so they can't talk and then they all go to that one place, wherever it is, where the internet's there and then they don't really know how to talk to each other. They just get the laptop yeah, back yeah. up and they speak to each other across the desk. We can play FIFA, bless them. <laughs> These unathletic geeks. Anyway, so he says, like, look. <laughs> two wrestling podcasters. I love it. I'm good at five side, mate. I'm good at FIFA. I, I, can't, I can't kick a ball the same with life. I'm good at five side. I've regaled people with my five side. You girls. have, yeah. I'll do it again. I've, I've seen it in the office. Like, you're the most skillful. At kicking the ball in where? Uh, you can't kick the ball in the bin. You kick balls in the bin. Sometimes. I've heard, I've heard stories of Adam Nicholas in a proper footballing arena, but he doesn't engage in the ball kicking in the bin. But I've heard he's got skills. I've, just, I've never seen him play football. But you I'll, should I'll, maybe prove them in the office. I've been told things. You should uh, prove it in the office. Um, anyway, so he's basically saying, look, I trained in Texas... I've got affinity with Texas, give me a pop, Texas. But ultimately, William Regal made me the man and the professional wrestler that I am today. And the conviction with which Danielson cut this promo was absolutely incredible. Um, it was very basic stuff um, from a content perspective, but he just he did, in fact, mean everything he says, which is why you should incorporate, without going full work, shoot real-life elements into your storytelling uh, because he just genuinely believed everything he was saying. He holds Regal in just this incredible reverence. And he said that he cried when uh, Regal was hospitalized. And he says there are consequences to people's actions and MGF must pay. Uh, but before all of that happens, um, Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway interrupt. We were talking about how... MGF likes to prolong things as long as possible. Danielson's an impulsive guy who just wants to fight every night. How do they find a way to keep these two men apart? Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway, mm. who interrupt. And again, big picture, deft booking, paying off once again. I'm not the biggest Ethan Page guy in truth. I like him at a certain level. I don't really buy him in this role, but I do admire the attempt. He's saying, look, he's basically saying, I've been carefully built and pushed over the last however many months, so I don't know where you think you're coming from saying that you're next with MGF, because I am. Yeah. I've come agonizingly close. I got to the finals of the Eliminator. I was in the last two of the Dynamite Battle Royale. Yes, I didn't win, but I'm closer than you are. Who do you ever beat? Dax Harwood. He loses to everyone. I'm sorry, I just did some a jubilant holiday mood. Dax Harwood's <laughs> obviously brilliant, but, yeah, bad on Twitter. <laughs> so... Uh, that basically Ethan Page is trying to get Vegetable Man over as an insult to Danielson mm. because he's a vegan yeah. and he's going to make him a vegetable. I thought they were going to do some like CTE head injury stuff here. Yeah. But they didn't. Maybe MGF has got dibs on that and I'm almost certain that he will. Um, but Danielson switches into comedy mode because it's a different threat, different proposition. He can't possibly take Page as seriously as MGF. So we switch gears here. And he says that, sorry, guys, I can't hear what you're saying because he was blinded by the glare from Stokely Hathaway's bald head. Hathaway, the delivery of this I thought was fantastic. Like, really earnestly pissed off here. Justifiably yeah. so. What did Hathaway do with Danielson? Yeah. You raggedy bitch. <laughs> yeah. And then you got a massive pop because everyone just realizes this guy's a really, really gifted comic. And he just decides to over it and he goes, you raggedy bitch. Again, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. 
Um, huge pop for this. Like, I just love watching Stokely like rediscover what it is mm. that's great about him. He's getting confident, and it's great. And he says, uh, Nathan Page basically says, um, Danielson wants to fight Page, but then Page says, "I'm not going to fight in San Antonio." It's like, don't do this in Seattle because they're doing Seattle on January fourth. Yeah, and I, was like, I don't want that to be the Danielson match in Seattle. And then he says, "We're going to fight next week in Denver." And I went, "Woo!" Because <laughs> I'm thinking, who? confronts Danielson. Is it MGF next week? What does Danielson do in Seattle? Well, so that night is going to be, if I've got, yeah, got my dates right, that's going to be the big Dynamite relaunch, isn't it? Yeah, I, got my, I, I was a week off of my prediction. So I might get my false count anywhere, Rex the set. I it's think you are. I was thinking of you. I was thinking if, if you. If it headlines this. Dynamite, that would make sense, doesn't it? The stage gets torn. There could be loads of tunnel stuff. Tunnel stuff, tear the tunnels down, all that. Um, you might get a new Rip thing. this little nitro lights off the tunnels yeah. and then just smash people in the face with that. Hoy Phoenix up in the air, but he hangs onto the chandelier and then accidentally pulls it down. Like, they make it a bit lower. So That's that a Willborn pitch. Yeah, I know, but it's Christmas. And we, one of us needs to be Willborn at various different points in this podcast to fill his void. Um, what we're talking about, Ethan Pitt. Yeah, I wonder if they might do MJF, Brian in Seattle, you know? Like, the there's precedent. It was Punk and MJF on TV, not in Chicago, before it was at Revolution. It was. So, and I'd... Believed, I said this yesterday on the pod, I think, I don't think they can get to Revolution without at least interacting once, whether that be in a tag or a singles. Have you watched AW before? <laughs> yeah, true. But <laughs> the good programmes, I think, are well-serviced in that regard. Um, when stuff gets left a lot of the time, it's just because, oh, yeah, we're still doing that thing, and we're going to get around to it eventually. Like, I would quite like this to be a... I think the fourth is going to be one of two big statement shows. The 11th, for obvious reasons, you can have Escalera, Dylan Werther, you're going to have the potential debut of Sasha Banks. Tactically... It's a Sorry to interrupt. Should they not do this in like late April? Uh, WrestleMania is finished. Yeah, well, I suppose it's on Sasha's availability, but that would be the time for me because WWE like gets ratings out the ass every January to April. Maybe it's yeah. A, maybe they think they're trying maybe there to was get no in. other time to do it. Well, maybe they're trying to get the conversation going before the Rumble. They probably know that post Rumble is going to be a really tough time to generate discussion because there's going to be a lot coming out of it for WWE. Uh, maybe it's just the way to stay in the fight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I just think those two big weeks, I wouldn't rule out the MJF match happening. The thing I don't quite get from any of this, I guess I do because Ethan Page has given his reason for it. it. Were you supposed to take from this that every now and then MJF is going to let bygones be bygones and pay the firm to do some dirty work? Was that like a. Just by them coming out here, I know that the firm and MJF narratively aren't on terms because of that attack before the Moxley match. But that's not going to stop a villain like MJF just thinking, right, I need to, he's chased me out of the building and I've been made to look a fool. I need to do something about this. Like, I'm going to chivvy Stokely Hathaway to G up Ethan Page. I'm gonna, or I'm just going to pay him. Yeah. To, you know, like, so we're going to have the match. And then is it something as simple as Danielson versus Big Bill in Seattle? Are we going to get the WWE rematch? Because, because he's doing firm stuff. Like... I don't know, like, is that, am I supposed to think something of the firm? Very conveniently, being the people... MJF throws obstacles in the way of the people he doesn't want to fight, and now the firm have showed up straight away on Daniel Bryan's lawn. Yeah. Is there something to that? I don't know. Um, it's not out of nowhere, because Paige has got the justified claim. Like, I'm still in content. I'm still fighting for this title, yeah. sort of thing. It's, uh, I thought that was quite but nice. I didn't... Like, basically, if there's a twist forthcoming, I wouldn't be shocked by it, so maybe there's mm-hmm. a little bit of will-building, a little bit of... Uh, Easter eggs stuff yeah. going on here. Um, but we get some kind of Three Kings Christmas Casino Trios Royale. <laughs> and an advert for that. And I'm yeah. thinking, and the winning team gets 300 grand. 
so strange, isn't it? That's Tony Khan like being mental, but I yeah. love him for it. Kind of booking that. Um, but to build that, John, uh, John Moxley backstage. Say like, was Callum said like three grand at first. As yeah, well. <laughs> three grand, three grand. John Moxley's probably getting that like that to do cut a promo for GCW or something. Aye, and he cuts a promo here. Uh, he's backstage. Uh, said he's going to be in that match alongside Claudio and Yuta. Um, and he also directs his ire towards Hangman Page and just said, what did you expect was going to happen? And he says, uh, sorry, my notes are a little bit fuzzy here. I'm not doing a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, just, uh, I'm not very good at my... Kevin Patrick turns up in a job. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not doing a bit. Just Will Bond's exceptional at his job. Wait there, where am I? Where am I? Text edit, text edit. Uh, so he says, Page, what do you expect to happen after taking that lariat? Like, you've got a glass jaw. I didn't do it. To like give you a haircut. Oh my god! I did this to knock you out. So why are you being such a bitch? AEW so good at this. Right? I love the Hangman Page character. Yeah. I empathize. I relate. I connect with the Hangman Page character. Very important babyface for this era. I think yes. Hangman Page. But a lot of people do think he's a bitch, and it's important to have that surrogate mm. um, in the audience at times. And Mox is a surrogate here because a lot of people thought, right? Okay, well, it's a bit. Hangman Page has got every right to be pissed off, but John Moxley doesn't. And I thought they've struck that balancing act per- to perfection here. Do you know what I think is really impressive about this? And there's not enough of this in wrestling anymore because I think, is it a good thing or not? I thought this is. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundary. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Time after the, you know, once we knew Hangman Page was fine, obviously. 
like I go back and forth on when there's a serious injury and it looked really serious in the moment. How what you do? Because the old school would have always said, "Well, time to make some money," you know. Whereas then that begat this kind of reckless era where really bad things happened and people died and like the industry in general like became this bloated excess of people's lives going to pot because of it. So then we went the other way, and it was like, sons of injured, stop everything, bodies are the most important thing. These comebacks are like so emotional and like beautiful in and of themselves. Brian and Edge and Paige and countless others that are now the Never Say Never crew, basically. It's amazing. But Moxley, again, has found the perfect compromise. At no point does the injury not feel serious, and you're not supposed to go, God, that was a really scary thing that happened. But in kayfabe, and in the context of all of this, as Moxley put, it's a fight. Yeah. We get paid to knock seven bells out of each other. What I did my job successfully. Yeah, like that is the, na- like, if anything, this should happen more, actually. That should be the natural conclusion of everybody that steps in the ring with me. The fact that Wheelie stood up meant that I had to induct him into my gang because he should, because if it was up to me, he wouldn't have stood up. Yeah. Like, he would have still been covered in the blood, but he wouldn't have been, he'd been stretched out of there and he wasn't. And because of that, I'm like, all right, you can join our club. I kind of love that. I, like, this is the way to measure that very sort of, oh, that's a really dangerous head injury versus, oh, let's make some money out of that. And I think they've found the modern way to do that. It's, it's, but it's case by case. You couldn't do it every time. You couldn't, like Adam Cole in the Forbidden Door match, I was just really uncomfortable yeah. and unsettling. And I think it would feel cheap at this point to revisit that in a yeah. similar way. But this is an example of how to do it right. This promo was, like, as always with Moxley, uh, like he's probably not getting enough credit at this point because it looks like he just opens his mouth and magic happens. Yeah. But he obviously he's an such a gifted like orator and performer, and I kind of wish this was where his night ended because yeah. I felt like the match undid a lot of the messaging here. I think it undid it, but it also like my take on the match and it happens later on. Um, in fact, we'll get to it when we get to it. Okay. okay. Uh, where am I? Sorry, my notes are all over the place. Adam Wilborn's very good at his job. Uh, Samoa Joe does that sort of sinister. Happy holidays, everyone. I'm going to kill someone. Well, happy holidays. Ah, like the King of Television gimmick. And I want to um, continue. I'm really sold on it. And like they're, they're kind of trying to make you feel like Wardlow's supposed to end it. And it's like, I'll take six more weeks the King of Television while you find another baby face to stop this. Yeah. Which is a problem. It is a problem. <laughs> it is a problem. Um, I believe in Wardlow, but not as much now mm. as I hopefully and I'm assuredly will in about a couple of months' time. Um, we get FTW champion Hook defeating uh, Jobber of the Year. Did you see yes. Wardlow squash on Rampage? Yes. The Sexless Prime lad. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. So he gets himself another gig, as he should. This one's doing as good, quite frankly. But, you know, deserves his uh, mm. three grain. <laughs> um, he basically just has a hook match, which lasts a minute. But it's all basically pretext to Stokely Hathaway commandeering the cameras and saying, hi, Hook, uh, don't get involved in our business because we're going to do something like this to you. And then Big Bill is awesome. His choke slams are just... I'm getting frightened of how brutal they are becoming in their frequency and intensity. Just decides to kill him in a dumpster. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where I want the camera to peer over and watch Jungle Boy sell it. But no, because, wow, dang, you made my heart sing. You made my And Hook's still going up the ramp. And I'm like, am I watching Wrestling Society X? <laughs> the editing on Wrestling Society X is so beautifully stupid in the dumbest way yeah. possible. That is... Like, so bad it's good. Oh, my God, what a crazy explosion, to quote Adnan Verk. Because <laughs> these people just go into these, like, tables and these coffins, and they're exploding. 
Who cares? He might be dead. But it's, it's another high spot happening. It's where like Vic Joseph's commentary would be justified, wouldn't yes. it? Yes. Like things are actually happening that yeah. warrant him screaming his lungs out. And Tony Khan channels Wrestling Society X here because I oh, Hook's going up the ramp and you know he could have a he could have a head injury yeah. getting chucked into a but slammed into the a metal trash bin like that. And then I'll wow thing. You made my heart say. John Moxley comes out for his match with uh, Darius Martin. I would classify this transition as a noble failure because I'm with you. It was just weird and jarring that you can see Hook trudging backstage as like John Moxley's Titantron video comes on. And yeah. it's like, oof, that doesn't feel so right. Like, at oh, all. I want them to be next to each other, actually. Yeah. Which in old AW used to be a thing, didn't it? Uh, Do you remember there would be sequencing that were clues, and maybe it is a clue, I suppose, but it certainly doesn't feel like they're in each other's orbit now. It's more just a TV time thing. But that used to be a thing, so maybe, you know, maybe in I six months. It feels I think like. just completely had a mare. Yeah. The Hook character cannot sprint. Even though he's made a friend, he cannot sprint back and help him. He, he just can't, can he? He's got to go, and, but he can't stand there and just ignore it either and no-sell it because then you're kind of an asshole. So they got the fact that he does just have to trudge backstage. He's, ah, you dicks, I'm going to fix that because I'm hard. But then when the show's carrying on regardless, then your brain goes, oh, so Jungle Boy's just in a bin and we don't care. Yeah. Like, this guy was this baby face that just went through, ter- like, a terrorising experience with Christian Cage that is yet to be fully rectified. He's had to destroy his dinosaur best mate in a bloody cage match. Destroy his own body to do it. And now he's trash. And he's sent out there to cut this promo being like, uh, the Jungle Boy is becoming a man. Like, he beats Brian Cage two separate ways, yeah. slaying dragons, all this sort of thing. And he got lobbed in a bin. It's like, but who gives a... Because John Moxley's here. It's, I. Uh, you kind of trivialise your baby faces like no. that when, you, when they're at a certain level yeah. and Jungle Boy was getting back there. That would never happen to Moxley. Never. Ever. ever. So it shouldn't happen to someone like Jungle Boy if I'm to take him seriously as a... Not a Mox-like figure, but on that same... Yeah, in that same tier. But anyway, we get Moxley versus Darius Martin, and it's the f- uh, first of two gentlemen's threes on this show for me. Mm. And there's one great dive that looks like it just a collision detection's awesome um, early on, and then it kind of just exists, and I'm not really into it, and I can't really recap it as a result. And the finish is look, I've seen a lot of matches over the past fortnight where the idea is to get someone over and defeat or shock you, and the guy who's gonna lose yeah. actually wins. So it's a bit much of a muchness, and they don't take the piss with the finish. There's no suggestion that Martin's ever going to do this, but he just doesn't lose so easily. Yeah. Which I guess is the way to go, but it wasn't tremendously exciting. I'll say one thing. Darius Martin's had a hell of a year, and I thought this was a really nice gesture. Have a singles match with Moxley on TV after all you've been through, and it's sort of... um, furthered Moxley's motivation for his program with Paige, and it's like, well... Look, you're injury prone. I'm in there to make you more injured. I'm not supposed to be impressed by this. Yeah. So I liked how it was halfway an indirect continuation of the Paige Moxley program and a nice thing to do for Darius Martin. I can't pretend to be tremendously. Ent- I wasn't doing cartwheels over this. No, I never want to see John Moxley in the um, uh, Jay Lethal graphic in the opener match. Where you're like, oh, I don't want to see this. Yeah. I, I It'll did. be good, but I don't want to see it. Yeah. This was a match too far for John Moxley tonight, I think. And I. To be honest, like I'm looking at top flight and thinking that the dynamic is wrong as well. For the, like, I get that at the moment, John Moxley is because Hangman Page is a, a fully fledged babyface. Moxley can just be a tweener for the a situational tweener for the feud because it would be unfair to say he's turning heel for it. So he's a situation. I mean, who the hell could ever be a situational tweener other than John Moxley? Yeah. That's got to be one of the hardest jobs in all the wrestling. But he's doing it, so it makes more sense that he in these sort of exhibitions of his violence that he would fight a babyface than a heel. 
And a tag baby face at that because it's somebody that is not quite as experienced. Even though Darius Martin, when you know, like he's had to work singles, has had more of these. Suppose it does make sense, but when it played out, I was sat there thinking, oh, I kind of wish this had been a heel. Like Moxley could still be violent, and the person he's beaten up also be a bad guy, like a cocky. I, I, I don't know. Well, I, like Ari Davari, for example, just but, for like a ten esque one minute mauling. Yeah. Like, oh, so he's he's the good guy and I can cheer for him, but oof, he's got an edge still. And Hangman Page forgot he had an edge and look what happened to Hangman Page. I thought this was the wrong match to continue that story. And it was a match too far. Um, there's always something that doesn't necessarily need to be on Dynamite every week and it's always from the men's division because we always go, that would have been the place for a women's match. Yeah. It's like, or, or, and not just the women, 20 people that could have benefited from valuable TV time. Yeah. This wasn't the match. This was the match that week, and it's a Moxley one. That bit of a waste of happened. time, basically. Yeah. Bit of a waste of time and resources. We get the next chapter of the Book of Hobbs and Jesus Christ. When Oof. Powerhouse Hobbs was three years old, he saw his uncle overdose on the floor. As a child, he was beaten, robbed, and for, uh, later in his life, he's been stabbed and shot. I, we were talking about this in the office. I think it's too important to botch this storyline. Yep. Um, I've said it every single week, and I'm going to say it every single week hereafter. How can you not admire this dude? Yeah. How can you not admire him? I don't want him to play a heel no. who's been trapped in a cycle of violence and has decided to... Uh, look, I will let things play out in AEW. I think this is verging on the tone deaf if he does the heel monster run on the back of this. They've completely earned my letter play out credentials to such an extent that I think that if he does play the monster heel, you'll just get a babyface reaction. I've got trust in the general audience to just receive this admirable incredibly talented guy is the baby face that he is and dictates the reaction even if it's not in AEW's plans but I just can't see them being this tone deaf because it's just how do they, they this is the company that can book baby faces yeah. how do they not know seemingly that this guy's the ultimate baby face yeah the, the move here is absolutely it, 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 it is run by a billionaire well I like it's you're always reminded that the people at the very, very top are about as far away from... Well, I was going to say about as far away from you and I, but you and I are about as far away from Powerhouse Hobbs in oh, terms Christ of the story in a life. It's like... Um, Group of gentrified low fans. It's just like... It's, the move here is absolutely... He's, he's a, he should be a cycle breaker. Anything I've achieved, it's nothing compared to this guy just simply existing. Yeah, exactly. Like, these people are... are, are like, I've made a, a big fuss over how WWE botched Lacey Evans, and this is a, a more... I think there's a lot more nuance to how... AEW telling the story, but you're dealing with similar parameters, like a very, very difficult upbringing overcome by somebody. Um, and I know this isn't the week, like obviously to maybe sort of make that comparison. I'm, it's not like for like in any other way. I'm just saying incredible trauma from youth that has become something different in your adult life is a, is a positive message to send and wrestling so rarely sends positive messages. And again, yeah, as Powerhouse Hobbs is a cycle breaker here, I'm just nervous every time they end the, like my suffering is going to be taken out on other people. Like, oh, well, we're not a bit past that as a society. Should you not instead be rooting for the change? And especially on a, on a predetermined show that can give you that story. Like, why not? I almost want to see a heel think that they have can take advantage of that. Let's say it was the firm, or let's say it was Brian Cage, because they're all Team Taz buddies. And they think, oh, Powerhouse Hobbs is going to help us, cause, like, and we're going to abuse the tough life that he had to manipulate him into violence for, for our cause. Yeah. And instead he's like, no, I'm going to beat you all up instead. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's like, I'm, I'm the change. I've got faith. I, I hope so. Faith. And I love him as well. Like, you loved him as a heel anyway. He was the kind of wrestler that you loved watching, thinking, I wonder, I can't wait to cheer you. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to tell you're in a story where I can cheer you. These stories have escalated that to an absurd degree. I'm rooting for him regardless. 
Hobbs versus MJF. Well, that's it. That's the exact match. Like, that's it? the match. They're like MJF saying everything what he said to Ricky Starks times ten for Hobbs. Like, uh, yeah, my spoon was silver. So if I had it in my hand, I would have bopped you on the forehead with it while other people were beating you up as a three-year-old. Yeah. Like, that's he doubles down on the cruelty, the exact brand of cruelty he gave to Ricky Starks. Yeah, that's the match. And the fact that it's not a face-heel match is a little bit worrying. But again, I have faith. Um, look, the next match was FTR versus the Guns. I thought this was a wild disappointment um, given how, look, it wasn't the best storyline in all of wrestling. It wasn't, like, that great. But I love how it fit into... The wider arc of FTR, yeah. who's de- the whole stuff is that the whole deal rather is that their uh, legacy is in danger. They've had this absolutely incredible 2022. I've been reminded of, of it every day, and uh, from January to December, every single day, <laughs> I'm just taking a piss when I was doing a bit. And the idea now is that they've lost the ROH titles. They might well lose the... They're in danger, certainly, of... Every near fall in that tag match can be great in the dome, by the way, for that IWGP title uh, match. Instead of Yoshihashi and Goto, like, but... Hey, you know... Yeah, it's the Goto thing, isn't it? It's like, hey, bless him. He's got it in him sometimes. They'll bully him, right. and he'll be canny mint on the comeback. It'll be fine. It's not... Yeah. But regardless, so FTR, they've lost a match against the Acclaimed. They've lost the ROH titles. They're now in real danger of losing both the Triple R and IWGP titles, and now the Gun Club are basically there to scam them with a really cheap win and just rub salt into the wounds, and they've kind of manipulated them somewhat into yep. this position. So it's all very good, and I'm very interested in the future of FTR on the back of this. Are they doing business on the way out, or is this their big babyface redemption but the lowest ebb right now before yep. we get to that moment? fascinating and mm. um, they can play with the media god knows dax likes to do that and uh i'm so interested in the direction of ftr on the back of this result the match that accomplished my interest in ftr was a gentleman's three if that i really liked cash wheeler doing atomic bomb stuff it was very cheap they're the ass boys i'm gonna break their ass with my knees but because break that, your ass uh, in half you little man you little, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But because it's Cash Wheeler and everything he does just looks awesome, like he made me feel for an atomic bomb, like I've not felt since I was like seven years old. Mm. He's great. The rest of the match was just kind of there. A very abrupt, anticlimactic finish after about nine minutes. Yeah. I thought the idea all along was the FDR are going to give the guns the match of their life. And uh, regardless of the result, they've invested this much time in the guns to get them over. I'm thinking there's got to be a second match because this did not do that for me. Well, I, honestly, right? So I felt like a bit of a misery on the podcast yesterday. I was like, yeah, I see what they've done with the result thing, but it's it's the frigging guns, man. I don't, like, nothing was going to make me buy it. And then you and Wilborn sort of both won me round on it and thought, you know, like the story deserves, as you pointed out there, the story deserves enough credit to like let this one, maybe maybe, maybe this will be the guns' big breakout yeah. night. And, you know, some of that can be on FTR, I guess, because as you pointed out, well, like that's, like what have they got when they've not got much like, what can they do for a team like the Guns that really need that FTR magic? And I wouldn't necessarily put last night on FTR particularly because I'm not sure that it was laid out in such a way that you were supposed... You weren't going to get, like, an FTR Young Bucks or Revival American Alpha thing out yeah. there, but that was never the point. But I just... What we got last night was ultimately why I was kind of low on it because it just... I get it. I can see it. I understand the point, but I still don't really know who, the, like, the Guns are other than, like... Just... Irritants. Some irritants, yeah. Uh, like, 
the Brett tights with the little Sean details in the middle was brilliant. Yeah. Like that's that's what they exist to do. But I just the defeat was only ever going to register at some level. I will say this. If you are doing the and I am as fascinated as you are, kind of both ways, do we get WWE or do we get the F the FTR AW redemption arc? What I love is the possibility of FTR were the team that were obsessed with the fact that they were being like done over by the rankings. Number one since April, title defence in December. Yeah. Like if they now lose both sets of belts on the December twenty eighth Triple uh, A show and January fourth in Tokyo Dome, they've got nout. The last win before the acclaimed at Revolution should be over the guns. Yes, like that. That to me is when you do the rematch. So FTR have had to like get another couple of wins in January, February, and then they beat the guns, and it's like and they and they batter them as well. You get this sparkling FTR. TV squash where you get loads of cool double teams, a big rig out there, ass, and like the guns are just like real like faces forced into their own, sh- basically for having just been part of this little slump. They're not anything to do with the slump; they're just beneficiaries of it. Yeah. So now you could give the gun club a run to the point where, oh, now the FTR have got to beat them, and this is the number one contenders match. Yeah. If the gun club beat them again, they're going to fight the acclaimed at Revolution. We cannot have that. Like you might arrive at quite a nice point. Yeah, especially when the gun club. The guns have guns. got uh, history with the acclaimed as well, so you could theoretically yeah. buy that. They would revisit just, it at Revolution because it's what got the acclaimed over as baby faces. Yeah, I just this sort of so there's I think, a lot to this. I think I think there by February, great. This like sometimes you got to trudge through the sludge, but this was very sludgy, very very sludgy. Look, I want to put Cash Wheel over again. Look, Dax Howard's a great wrestler. I'm just doing a running in joke, Jesus Christ. But Cash Wheeler did impress me the most in this match. If I'm being honest, I loved how he was flying about the place. Mm. The idea is they don't do that, but I think he was trying to tell the story of kind of have to to put these away. Didn't buy it, yeah. but I admired the intent. This, this was absolutely incredible what came next. Like, purposeful, so bad it's good. A music video <laughs> produced and starring, produced by and starring by Sanjay Dutt rapping about the acclaimed, yeah. flanked with Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> In slow motion, just laughing it and yucking it up. This was, like, you probably don't know who this guy is if you're a listener. There's a character called Scripps in NXT. <laughs> he was a poet, except he's got no, like, grasp of rhythm and flow and iambic no. pantameter, and the words just don't neatly fit into the, the schemes he's trying to do. Sanjay Dutt was intentionally rapping horrendously, yeah. and I think they auto-tuned him as well yeah. to make it sound that much... Worse, like they're trying, to, like he kind of knows he's rubbish and he's shown ass via rapping and he's auto tuned and he can't do it. And after it's done, they're like, Is that the worst thing we've ever heard in our <laughs> lives? This is amazing. This feud rules. This feud is great. The details here, the little cuts where like Jeff Jarrett was vibing in his like last outlaw game. Yeah. And the friggin' Satnam Six t shirt with his height on it. Like, AEW is a company that has put some pretty terrible stuff on a t-shirt 24 hours after a dynamite. I think I want one. It's just got a height and just the numbers. Like, this was fantastic. What a great TV program. Like, I was nervous when I I was big on the whole, look, Jeff Jarrett and Sting's interaction is going to be incredible at the pay-per-view. Just don't panic. Leave it at that. Don't panic, guys. Like, and even I was sceptical thinking, that's like, I love him, but nobody else will. They shouldn't stick around. People will go off this. I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And if this match is good, and I have a feeling it will be. It'll be fun. Yeah, if this match is entertaining, like, again, like, it's Triple J. The third J is for genius because he's starting to justify his place on the case. It's not just Jeff Jarrett calling in his way, and it's like, well, I'm two for two, Tony. I mean, you do what you think's best, but I'm two for two. 
Do I see Jim Ross? I don't know. It's because they're all from the South, I don't really know. <laughs> like that. Uh, just, what if he becomes, like, you know, I was thinking his pay-per-view party match guy. What if Jeff Jarrett is TV party match guy? Yes. Like, I'll hit a guy with a guitar every three weeks. I'll give you a tag match that will bang. Yes. Like, oh God, he's, he's got a place. He's done it again. <laughs> we get uh, something. Next. This is something. Uh, Rick Ross. I still don't know what it is. I don't think. I'd, hours have passed. I watched it twice. And I still don't Rick know. Rick Ross mediates uh, Swerve, and Strickland, uh, Swerve Strickland sorry, and Keith Lee hashing it out. And uh, so Rick Ross is in the ring with Shivani. Keith Lee's out first. And I wish Wilborn was here for his production trickery because I've been saying this. I've been repeating it to myself all morning. <laughs> We've been sharing the laughs in the office about it. I like how, even though they've literally shared a screen before, Rick Ross appears to have looked at Keith Lee for the first time because he's in the ring. He looks at him. You a big mother... <laughs> um, uncensored. I died it was so funny his delivery was great just the idea that how do you not know you've interacted with this guy before how have you not realized that he's big yeah <laughs> i was dying so again we have rewatched and relived this already so you've heard this already but just this reaction was the role keith lee was born to play he's always had that um you know the woman tied to the railroad in the old 50s westerns that's fanning her hair? Yeah. Oh, no, who's going to say... Like, that's Keith Lee, weirdly, considering that he's this monster. Considering he's a big one. He's that. That look, when he leans over the ropes and takes a second, is that's Keith Lee's... That's that's his, like, performance apex, I think, of, like, how on earth do I sell this? Oh, I'm, I'm like the perfect wrestling gentleman. I, too, should be completely shocked and a little bit embarrassed by this. It was an incredible five seconds of television. Followed by five terrible, terrible, <sighs> terrible. So Swerve comes out. Yeah. And as I called, I knew he was going to have a stable because mm-hmm. he was saying, I've got associates and this stuff always matters and they tease things and they foreshadow things. And he said, for, the sec- for like the second time in one show, there was an attack from behind. Mm-hmm. And Swerve Strickland says, look, you need eyes in the back of your head. And then out comes Parker Boudreaux. What? Red. Huh? Yeah. And, like, I can't take this guy seriously. I understand he looks like Brock Lesnar. I understand that he's got these weird friendships with lots of influential and famous mm-hmm. people, and he's got a big social media following. And, obviously, if you've got someone who's looks like Brock Lesnar and has got a demonstrable ability to draw people to his brand, you do something with him. Yeah. You do something with him. Um. The problem is that when he's trying to punch Keith Lee, I think he looks like an idiot. Mm. I just don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to... He, he cosplay like, wrestler. He looked like Shane McMahon going over that top rope, yes. didn't he? Yeah. Like, cosplay wrestler. You see people or hear people, idiots, saying, well, the young bucks are cosplay wrestlers. No, they're better than anyone you ever managed. <laughs> right? Or booked if as you, a star. If you're a manager, hypothetically. Yeah. Or booked as a star. Parker Boudreaux looks like he's cosplaying as professional as a professional wrestler, and I understand that it's because he kind of is because he's not an experienced professional wrestler. I can't take anything he does seriously. I find his attempts to be intense laughable. I thought significantly less of Keith Lee for selling for it, and then it's complete unknown. And I don't care because I will learn who he is. Hmm. I can infer that this is a big scary guy who Swerve thinks is scary. This guy's head to toes and tattoos. Yeah, um, makes CM Punk look like bloody. Mary Poppins. 
And he's like, okay, this is about us. I'll learn more about him. But I don't know who he is. What gross back alleys and like streeters swerve comes to him. Yes, exactly. That's a great point. So I get it. But at the same time, if you're going to, you're not going to get a reaction debuting someone like that. No. I can understand why swerve would go for him. um, But you're not going to get a reaction. So that was weird. Especially when you're always going to get the, huh? I thought he was in the Trust Busters. I thought they gave up on him after a month. Do you know what I appreciated about. Grandon the goat, goatworth, I think his name is, or something like that. What? I like what? About, well, yeah, that's his... his oh, check. right, I thought you were talking about uh, Cedric Alexander. No, no, no. <laughs> check out what goes wrong. I'm, I'm calling him the goat because of Gary the Goat Garber. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got his name on the website. What I liked about it was they've learned a lesson from a few years ago. We've had a lot of uh, Luther flashbacks lately, and obviously the Butcher and the Blade is quite a famous one as well. Like... Thank God Excalibur didn't give us his cage match profile and make us all feel stupid for not knowing who he was. Yeah. For a change, it was like, who's that? that? Like, if Excalibur doesn't know, where the hell is Swerve found him? Like, if he's like, oh my God, that's John Johnson. He wrestled GCW. We we saw him against John Moxley over WrestleMania weekend. Did we? Like that. Because I didn't. Because I didn't. Like, that used to happen quite a lot. And I'm I'm glad at least of, like, fix that element of the presentation when you're doing the surprise appearance. Because I was just like, well, this guy's a danger. He's a threat. He let him in the building. Ah, oh, Swerve did. This is this is nasty business. This. So yeah, all of this is on paper, by the way. Mm. The execution of this was horrendous. Oh yeah, the brawling looked terrible. It, the audience was completely nonplussed. Um, Rick Ross was just saying things. Yeah, he was trying to do the whole commentate as it goes on. It just didn't really flow into what was happening at all. I hate the breeze blocking wrestling. Hate it. I was. That's the point I was going to make. I was like, oh, God, this could not be going any worse after that immaculately delivered. Ooh, big one. Fine. <laughs> I said, oh God, this is so bad. Boudreaux, why? Who's this guy? What's going on? This brawl looks terrible. I don't have any sympathy for Keith Lee in the correct way. I pity him. How could this get any worse? Oh, they've got a cinder block. At the very least, it did not crumble to dust. No. It was a better fake prop than the WWE ones, but wrestling, conceptually... Wrestling them under the ring is the stupidest thing. In the I know, I, I swear, know. like, earlier in the day, like like a cartoon with a huge... Bit, 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 bit. It's terrible. I, I was like, how have you picked the worst weapon, the most famously bad WWE weapon ever, mm. and put it on this mess of a segment? Um, aye, it's a good job that Rick Ross is such a star, and it's a good job that that line was so incredible that that's all people are really going to remember from this, or at least there's a lot of goodwill going into whatever happens with Swerve and Our Glory next because <laughs> Rick Ross is involved and he's such a banter merchant because this was a funny and Earnest disaster. That's the problem, isn't it? If this was all of this was taking place with a story you did not give a toss about, I think you'd just be able to luxuriate in how daft it all is. But it felt like the felt like the wrong type of angle was like awkwardly stapled onto something you've actually been asked to take quite seriously. Yeah, the Swerve and Our Glory split has been quite delicately handled, and the Swerve the development of the Swerve character in particular and Keith Lee's reactions to that have been quite cute. Like, Keith Lee walked out and let Swerve take an ass kicking, but it wasn't the end. Yeah. He's a nice guy, and they had one more chance in it and all the rest of it. And I just, I don't know, this felt like, yeah, this felt like an angle from another storyline given inexplicably to the Swerve and Keith Lee one. I, I will say, we're three years into Dynamite and four into AEW, and there is more faith in the brand now that something like this can go on. And it, I don't think there will be, like, Nightmare Collective, Dark Order nervousness about the state of the company. I think people are just like, ugh, that was weird. But it's not going to detract from people wanting Swerve and Keith Lee at Revolution. Yes. And Swerve still feels like a guy that is going is going places next year. 
So this doesn't create that like nagging feeling of are you breaking something that I really love? It's just strange. Yeah. Like Swerve in that group, I think I quite like. Swerve's a weird guy. Yeah. A baddie. He's a baddie and he's a baddie. And I got that. But a, a terrible angle, really. The execution was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Well, I, I will let it play out, but it was absolutely horrendous. So this was Dynamite was kind of trending to a bad, bad level. And then mm. I got just joy in my heart. Like, oh, Christ, yes, this must be the main event. A woman's main event yeah. about bloody time. I was like, Jesus Christ, how long's left? And one hour 41 was when this match started between uh, AEW World Champion Jamie Hayter and her horror cheater. And I instantly knew what was going on. I instantly took notice of the amount of time left. It's like, they want to have a classic women's yeah. match in AEW. And they are giving them all the time in the world to deliver it. And this is awesome. It's mm. long overdue. It's kind of pathetic that it hasn't happened already a long time ago. But Jesus Christ, this is it now. They've basically said the uh, a tacit hint of you're getting a classic mm-hmm. and they are going to try and give you a classic. So sit back and try and await the classic. And from one hour 41 to, by the way, I won ladies night. Big dub for ladies night. Like, because I was the... Like 120, you were the latest. Because I was, cause I was the most cynical. <laughs> yeah. I've won uh, regardless. Uh, so thank you for the data, uh, Mr. Wilton. Um, but basically, so... One hour, 41, it's like, they are wanting to give us a classic here, and they are creating the expectation of a classic. And then after so much drama, like so much really, really well-measured interference, Jamie Hayter having no choice but to try and take Sheeta's head off because she was so indefatigable and the spirit was so invincible that I just got to take your head off here. I'm going to have to take your head off to win. From that moment to that, I thought they earned everything that was sort of projected onto it and asked of it as a match. My God. So the basic story is it's a back and forth. It's ultra competitive. It's a big title fight. Bombs back and forth. Um, So that was the template. Um, And they completely embarrassed virtually 95% of wrestlers who do this sort of thing every single week by executing it to perfection and pacing it to perfection. Um, It was so unbelievably hard-hitting. I was worried about, on the preview yesterday, if she never phones it in, but I just think she gets maybe a lack of confidence about how hard she needs to hit because there are cultural differences between North American TV and Japanese professional wrestling. And maybe Hater had a word and said, hit me as hard as you fucking want. Yeah. Because that's the kind of thing I'm into. Um, and there's a bit where, like throughout, it was really, really hard hitting. When she delivered an axe kick to the back of Jamie Hater's skull, I was just like, oh yeah. <laughs> there were moments in this match where I was out of my seat whooping and hollering and just rewinding things. Cause I was like, oh my God, that hit so hard. I need to watch it again. Like a Death Valley driver into a backbreak. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that before. I was like, oh, God, like you could feel it in the between your shoulder blades of how much that hurt. And the magic of a near fall is not the 2.999 of the kick out. It's not, it is when to do it. But truthfully, the true magic of a near fall is, please kick out, I don't want this to end. Please kick out, I don't want this to end. I didn't necessarily want Sheeta to win the title because his hate is so awesome, but I didn't want the match to end because I was just enthralled to it. So when Sheeta... She's got this great match layout trick where she'll do two or three extra. Maybe it's a hater one as well because this happened in Tony Storm where it's like, oh, that's a finish. What a match. Oh, it isn't. Get in. I get more of this match. And I just thought it never verged on excess for the finisher kickouts. They just restored the magic of them in this match. Hater wins just trying to decapitate uh, Sheeta basically. Um, The (laughs) interference I thought was measured perfectly because it just built those near falls and the magic of them. Jamie Hater... And I tweeted this to Mega Fans will have to forgive me. 
that's like I, 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 I've said this on the preview yesterday. Matt Jackson, one of my favorite, my favorite tag team wrestler of all time. I can understand why people don't like him and take the piss out of him. CM Punk, pro wrestling genius. I can understand why he just there's one too many botches, uh, botches in his matches and yeah. people really can't get on board with them. Kenny Omega, my favorite wrestler of all time. I can understand why people don't like him. Kazuchika Okada, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I can understand why people don't like him and think the first 10 minutes are aimless and are a bit boring. There's a certain type of wrestler, and I like wrestlers more than this type of wrestler, but there's a certain type of wrestler where I think you're kind of flawless and it's impossible to hate any... It's the people that think Brett aren't any good or wrong. There's not many yeah. people where you can say, well, you're wrong, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of that breed of wrestler. It's like, well, no, you can't not like that. Yeah. You can't. Tanahashi is one of them. Jamie Hayt is one of them. Like, yeah. I think Kenny Omega's a better wrestler. I think Okada's a better wrestler. Hayt has got that thing where it's like, you can't... She's flawless. Yeah. She's what wrestling is. You <laughs> can't criticize her. That's how good I think she is. It's it's impossible to hate Jamie Hayter. It just is. She's just too good at this. I agree. I think as well, she's thus perfectly cast right now as a hard-hitting heel, but somebody that's going to be a monster babyface. Yeah. It's like when you're in that zone specifically that you've just described, she's in the perfect role for it at the moment because one of these days the babyface turn is going to come and that title reign is going to be even more exciting than this heel one. Um, I love this match. I think this is, I think this is my favourite AW women's match ever. Um, it's a reminder. Like, it's like we do. I think some people get bored of us going on about this, but I think it's, I think you have to. Like, representation really matters. It, does, eh? it really matters. And it just sounds like, a, I think people think this is like a washed or a boring take sometimes, but it's not. This being given the pedestal of a main event instead of the slot in the middle was crucial to its success because they were going to, as you say, kick the shit out of each other regardless. And it was just going to be about how invested fans were going to be. And the fans in that building were told, you need to care about this more than anything else you've seen tonight. Instead of, they're going to hit each other really hard, but you can go to the toilet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. we've just put the Satnam Singh shirt out. So if you want to get it tonight, yeah, you yeah. can do. Like, this... This, pre- this representation mattered, the pedestal mattered, the wrestlers were all... I don't believe that the wrestlers wouldn't have worked up to the spot anyway. But we talked about this yesterday. This title match wasn't built with any of the gravitas of MJF versus Ricky Starks, but it was wrestled the exact same way. Jamie Hayter's on this incredible run. She's super over. I'm starting to feel like... Look, and like when it comes to the history books of AEW, I know an incredible literal one you can find on Amazon. If you search Michael Sidgwick, you'll find it. Like the history books that get written on the first several years of AEW, beyond your very own one, I think will be incredibly kind to Hikaru Shida because she steps up in matches like this and she provides this opponent that you ultimately, look, Shida's had her long title reign. You can beat her like a drum at this point. She can lose a lot of big matches like this but feel insanely credible in defeat. There was an air fall in this match that had absolutely no right considering where Shida is in the pecking order and where Hater is as a champion and where we know we're going with Hater and Britt Baker, the near fall just had absolutely no right. Yeah. And the match quality itself didn't really, like, it didn't feel like it could pass a certain glass ceiling placed upon it by this company. And yet it did. I, I love this so much. This was, like, I don't know if this is an unfair comparison, but in terms of Jamie Hater's progression, this felt like the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa Paddy's Day Slam match for her. Yeah. We will reflect on this as the night where something else, like we thought we were in top gear and in fact tonight we clicked into an even higher one and this was the match that did it and I just hope like Sheeda's remembered as the opponent because I think she was as crucial to it. I love this and I'd like, I think you're right about Hater and I think um, now that we're going into 2023, these very 
like quiet baby steps, but important ones taken by the Tony Storm title reign, taken by Britt Baker taking a step back for the benefit of letting Jamie Hayter shine. I think they're going to bear tremendous fruits in 2023. I feel earnestly optimistic about AEW's women's division without feeling like I'm trying to drag it, kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm being told to be optimistic rather than just hoping against hope. It feels like this is the time that yeah. they are actually trying and I'll be brutally disappointed if it doesn't improve and get more representation, get more main events. A second match, maybe. Yeah. Because like the whole argument all along was the quality isn't there. The heat isn't there. That was your fault, by the way. Not yours, AEW's. No excuses now. No. The, every last excuse has gone away. Well, there's a hole in my bucket, isn't there? Because it's always like, well, we'd love to give them two matches, but the numbers aren't there. We have to give them two matches to make the division feel worthwhile. And then it goes like it's a circular thing. Like uh, One last point, because I'm wary that we've asked a lot of your time, and thank you very much for sticking with us on this podcast, and for all of them throughout 2022. The last time I truly cared about AEW ratings was two periods, right? I wanted them to beat NXT yep. because I wanted an alternative and I thought it was such a bollocks move and I was desperate for them to just thrash NXT and make this viable and get the rights fee, make it viable enough ratings-wise to get the rights fee so this can continue. Kind of was really interested around All Out 2021. The Raw Chase was good, The Raw Chase yeah. was good. It's like, right, okay, then, like, Jesus, what if they become number one? Like, that's just... For an analyst, that's yeah. fascinating. Not just because I like it more. Ultimately, if it stayed at 0.33 and 900,000 and TNT were happy enough to give it for five years, I would happily have it in a straight line. Mm. And that's how little I care about it now. As long as it doesn't fail, I couldn't give it sauce. I'm desperate for this main event to get a good rating. Because yeah. if it doesn't, it could just embolden them to say, I oh, will try, lads. Mm-hmm. Desperate. I'm going to be on refreshing Twitter tonight like a nerd. At the same time as rewatching this, just in hope that it hasn't created... It won't be a disaster if it falls off because the main event of most TV wrestling shows is the worst performing segment. Mm. It's all about the extent to which it dips. If this falls off the face of the earth, I'll be really, really disappointed. And if it does well, oh, incredible, because yeah. they told you from the first segment that it was going to be the main event. So the announcement was, if you've just tuned in for Dynamite and you've watched your Ricky Starks bit, straight away, Excalibur's like, tonight's main event. So that's viewers that have gone with the whole show to watch these two fight. Yeah. So what a, what a vibe and a buzz that'll be. At a time when... We're on the verge of an, like a potentially incredibly buzzworthy move in the women's yeah. division with Sasha Banks. So like, it's exciting, really exciting, absolutely. So really looking forward to seeing that tonight and a little bit anxious. But let us all uh, know what you thought of the show underneath the uh, podcast link on Twitter, um, which you can find at What Culture WWE. Whilst you're there, uh, why don't you follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet? You can follow me at M Sidrick. Once again, you can follow us all at What Culture WWE. Um, we'll be back later answering your questions. Yeah. So go on Twitter. Oh, no point. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you'll probably get the chance. Uh, but we'll be back with that later tomorrow. It's all up in the air, nearing the holiday season and all the rest of it. But um, check out our uh, secret content that will be dropping over Christmas yeah. as well. So stick around on your feeds for that. Long-term listeners will have an Long-term idea of when listeners. and what that will be. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But stick around on your feeds. We are pretty much away for much of the Christmas um, holidays um, and whichever holidays you celebrate as well. Of course, we don't want to be... Um, don't want to exclude anybody. Uh, but ultimately, yes, if you stick around at Christmas, there'll be something for you. Um, but we're off for a few days and back kicking and screaming um, <laughs> early January. But just to thank you again for making us the ones yep. and um, spending time with us because we really appreciate it. And until then, we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.